everyone, this is Sarah from The Journey and welcome to another expert special. Now, this one's interesting because we all have probably heard that people get acupuncture done for hormonal imbalance, for fertility, for stress, but I don't know about you, I have absolutely no idea how it works and sometimes when we don't really fully understand how something works, there can be scepticism, there's a bit of mystery. So we thought, why not ask somebody who's got both a Western medicine background and who's also qualified in Chinese medicine? And that's where our lovely next guest, Laura Boscoen, comes in. Now, Laura came and did a brunch for us um, a few months ago. And actually, this podcast is by popular demand uh, because we had a lot of questions afterwards. Laura is also a PCOS sufferer um, like myself. So she knows a lot about hormonal imbalance from her own personal experience. So in this podcast, we're going to be drilling down into some of the main principles around acupuncture and really how she sees it um, working in terms of trying to rebalance the body and put you in an optimum state for fertility, conception and bringing a new person into the world. So let's give it a go. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So the background, um, we did a breakfast with Laura um, a few months ago and our notes from the breakfast are one of the most popular on our site. So we thought, what better than getting Laura actually on a podcast so more people can hear. Um, so Laura, can you talk to us a little bit about your background and perhaps why your background leads you to have a slightly different approach on acupuncture than maybe the traditional? Well, I first started off um, having a massive fascination for the human body. Um, so I started doing a degree in physiology at Bristol. After that, um, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovaries. Um, so I went to the Lister Hospital and they told me that I had to take the contraceptive pill to help ease the symptoms. Essentially, I never ever had my period. Well, I did maybe once a blue moon. Um, and after a few years of being on the pill, I went back to the doctors and they said, you still have polycystic ovaries. Um, but at which point they also suggested that I, instead of taking the pill, because I was slightly anti-taking Western medicine for so long, that um, I should look at acupuncture. I was very sceptical, thinking, how can a few needles help get my period? Um, so I looked into it, started having it, and after... I think it was about five to six treatments I started getting my period and then continued having it once a month and started having my period like clockwork. So I thought, wow, this is incredible. But not only was I getting my period, I was having much better sleep, better digestion, feeling much calmer, more energy. So I could see other niggling symptoms being on doubt. So at which point I started reading more and more into Chinese medicine and about six years ago, I undertook a Chinese medicine degree and I haven't looked back really. Um, but I guess, I think the difference between Chinese medicine and Western medicine in my mind, not that I'm anti-Western medicine, but I see Chinese medicine is much more about looking at the person as a whole. So you're not just going to a Chinese doctor um, and fixing your fertility, you're fixing the whole shebang. So, um, for instance, you go to an acupuncturist, you might go three to six months prior to conceiving or if you've had a miscarriage or if you're struggling to conceive and you will have a 
you know, they'll have weekly treatment depending on what's going on. Um, you'll have um, either moxibustion, acupuncture, cupping, gua sha, all modalities of Chinese medicine. Um, and you might also have a daily dose of herbs if the acupuncturist is a herbalist as well. Um, but with that, you're getting lifestyle advice, dietary requirements, exercise programs, and constant support. Whereas that's what I love about acupuncture and Chinese medicine. Whereas if you go to a Western doctor, um, yes, the effects might be um, you know, quick and rapid, but you've also got massive side effects. Um, you'll be having blood tests, scans, um, IVF, IUI, surgery possibly. Um, but you're not getting any of your holistic care. You're just treating your fertility. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, yes, it's wonderful if there's an extreme condition with fertility, like you've got blocked fallopian tubes, or you've got endometriosis, or you have um, inadequate sperm. Then I think Western medicine is brilliant to, to, um, to resolve that when there's a dramatic critical change required. But what baffles the Western doctors is when all the tests are normal, but they still can't get pregnant. Um, and that is where I think Chinese medicine is fantastic and you can have really quick results if you're just a little bit more patient and stop going to the fertility clinics and just trust that within six months or however long it takes that you might, you might get pregnant through this more gentle, subtle approach. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that because nowadays um, it seems that when you look at infertility, a third you can ascribe to the male, a third you can ascribe to the female, and then there is this a third that is called quote-unquote unexplained, where all the tests come back fine, and yet it doesn't quite work. But I also think it's interesting that you talk about patience, because nowadays, I know I'm guilty as well of it, we're not the most patient people. Um, but it is really interesting that as well that you come at this from both a kind of Western and Eastern perspective. So do you think that that makes how you approach acupuncture slightly different? Or do you think that you really just describe it to, or your approach is really just pretty traditional, the Chinese approach? I definitely treat from a Chinese perspective. I'm not a doctor, so I can't, you know, I can't, I can't look inside the body and see what is wrong. I can't see whether they've got polycystic ovaries. I can't see whether they've got endometriosis. But um, that's not really what we're looking at from a Chinese perspective. We're looking at the imbalance in the body. Um, we're looking at the internal climate, and that's where I come in to try and balance that internal climate and make a person more fertile. So we're looking at these vital substances which are necessary for fertility. So Jing, Shen, yin-yang, qi, blood, they're all crucial for fertility, especially jing, which is stored by the kidneys and is the reproductive essence. And that diminishes as one gets older through lifestyle, through environmental factors. Um, and then you've got the shen, which is all about the mind, which is controlled by the heart. And if that is, you know, gone oh well, um, and you're stressed and you're anxious, then then you're never going to connect to the to the uterus via a channel called the bao mai. Um, which makes um, that connection between the heart and the uterus very strong and provides the blood to the uterus in order for proper conception and um, fertilization, etc. So, um, 
But do you think that you are seeing more imbalance generally in people nowadays because of our modern lives? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a whole multitude of factors um, cause an imbalance of those substances I was referring to. But I think from a Chinese perspective, it's not just what's happening day to day from your diet, your rest, your nutrition. There's all of that. But the, the main causes of disease from a Chinese perspective are internal causes, which are usually emotions. So anger, joy, fear, grief, um, worry, overthinking, shock, all affect our organs and can all affect fertility. For instance, anger and stress can affect um, can affect your liver, and liver is responsible for the smooth flow of energy, and especially for the smooth flow of blood around the uterus and the reproductive organs. So when you're stressed, your liver is impaired, and it leads to a um, disorder called liver chi stagnation, um, which is huge for um, allowing the egg to move down the fallopian tubes, for allowing all the blood to flow freely through the uterus. And then, for instance, sadness or excess joy can affect the heart, and that will mean um, the, the, the heart will be impaired and the flow of blood won't um, flow to the uterus correctly. So there's loads of different things, but there's also external causes, um, environmental factors such as the cold, the damp, the heat, not so prevalent over here in the UK, but especially in China where there's, it's either extremely hot or extremely cold, but over here it can be um, put down to air conditioning or heating systems. And that heat or that cold outside, just like with global warming, can affect the body internally too. So, for instance, someone who's got too much cold in their body or too much heat, or too much damp, what we call damp, or not enough blood, can all cause this internal climate to be affected. So, for instance, someone who's got too much cold in their body, they might look very pale, they might have a cold uterus to touch, um, they might have sluggish bowels, they might be adverse to cold, and might feel really chilly, they might be... Um, they're just like cold extremities and it, things like that. Cold extremities, exactly, mm. but cold internally will cause the blood to mm. slow down, congeal, and not supply the reproductive organs effectively. So, for instance, outside you've got a river which freezes. It's um, sure as hell the water's not going to flow. It's the same. The blood's not going to flow in the body. Um, so, do you see that quite a lot in particularly women who come to you for fertility? Yeah, I see a lot of cold. I see a lot of heat, and especially, actually, and damp. Polycystic ovaries is a sign of damp in the body, um, or blood deficiency. So, heat people with heat, they're likely to be agitated, restless, um, they're lacking the yin, the cooling, nourishing part of the vital substances, um, um, and they might be really thirsty, they might be, have a temper, they might look red in the face, and their abdomen might feel warm to touch, um, and when there's too much heat in the abdomen, the, the, the fertile fluids dry up, um, the fertile mucus won't exist, the endonatural lining will be thinner and drier, so... Acupuncture through all of this can help um, rebalance these internal climates. Blood deficiency, I see a lot. And um, what do you mean when you say blood deficiency? Blood deficiency, when it's not saying you're anemic or um, that you don't have enough blood. It's saying the vital components of blood, um, 
including the immune cells, the nutrients, the oxygen, the hormones, the analgesics, everything that encompasses blood um, is functioning effectively and nourishing all parts of the body. So uh, Chinese medicine says a perfectly healthy body is when um, there's a free flow of qi and blood. And when there's any impediment in this free flow, that's what leads to illness, disease, you know, malfunction of that part of the body. So what we're trying to do through, if someone has blood deficiency, they might have symptoms as they might be pale face, they might be tired, they might have dry skin, dry hair, um, might have brittle nails, they might get dizzy when they stand up, they might have floaters in their eyes. Um, so that means the blood isn't sufficiently nourishing the reproductive organs, essentially. Now, what do you do? So say, for example, I came to you and I had unexplained infertility and you know you assess that I had this blood deficiency how do you actually approach that because I think as you know here at the journey we're really really interested in kind of getting underneath um, some of these treatments and really understanding how they work so so how do you approach it well we look at it from every angle really so initially you take a full case history of not just their fertility issues but I will ask every system in their body from their sleep um, process, from their digestive process, from their urinary process um, to their menstrual cycle. So menstrual cycle is obviously a big thing. I will look at every part of the menstrual cycle from when, when they started Menage, how long their cycle is, how long they menstruate for, the colour and the texture of the blood, um, whether they get clots, um, whether they're getting bloating, cramping, breast distension. Um, and what does that information tell you generally? That information tells us a lot about the internal climate. Like a top Chinese doctor can assess the person's internal climate just by their menstrual cycle. So for instance, if someone has a short menstrual cycle, less than maybe 25 days, and it's very bright coloured blood, and there might be some clots, and they might get some burning, stabbing pain in the stomach, that's a sign of heat. If the cycle is very long, or longer than maybe 35 days, um, that's a sign of blood deficiency, and it might be the blood might be scanty, and it might stop-start, um, because there isn't enough blood. Um, someone who's got cold equally can have a long cycle, but they might get a biting, boring pain, their tongue might be purplish, um, purpley bluish. Um, someone who's got damp will be, again, their period can be very irregular, um, they will have a sticky coating on their tongue. Their pulses will be very slippery. So we're not just looking at the menstrual cycle, we're looking at the pulses, which is a big factor in what is going on in the body. And yeah. the tongue, which you, is long-term. You were saying about the pulses, because uh, as someone who has acupuncture, sometimes I get told I have a slippery pulse. Now, what does that actually mean? So a slippery pulse, well, there's about 28 plus qualities of the pulses we're uh -oh. not just <laughs> we're not just checking the rate so slippery pulse um is a sign of damp within the body um that damp. would be my pcos then exactly mm. so it's not pcos isn't just just damp but it's a, one of the main causes mm. damp like in nature it's wet soggy sits on the bottom of a wall doesn't really dry out it's the same in the human body um fluids congeal and 
one person with damp might have heavy limbs, chesty mucus, um, tired, foggy brain, fuzzy head. Um, and that manifests as a, you know, just as it would in nature, slippery and like, like fluids congealed. And that's a feeling you can feel on the pulse and also you can see on the tongue, it's a sticky like fluid on the tongue, like the tongue can be swollen, like there's too many fluids in the body as well. Um, but yeah, there's lots of, so someone with too much heat, for instance, the pulses will be very rapid, they might be very floaty because there's not enough yin cooling that heat. Um, they might be overflowing, like boiling up. Um, someone with cold, too much cold in their body, the pulse is gonna be slow, maybe deep, um, maybe thin. So it totally depends on each person. So you look at all these kind of factors together exactly. before you decide what then the kind of approach is that you're going to take. Exactly. It's not just, so it's the signs and symptoms, the pulses, looking at the tongue. I will also palpate the abdomen and other areas of the body. I will fill channels and you can actually feel throughout, throughout the channels if there's a blockage in any of the channels. So this blockage is really interesting because... Um, it doesn't stress cause blockages potentially yeah absolutely like i said um when the chi is flowing freely the person is at optimum health when there's any blockage in that flow of chi um the person can suffer from something so um stress uh, on a physical way you know when you are stressed you tense your shoulders and you raise them up and you'll get stiffness in your shoulders um, or you'll get irritable, or you'll get mood swings, or you'll cry, or you'll get bloating. So it's when the chi isn't, energy isn't flowing freely through the body. So what we're trying to encourage is, by acupuncture, is releasing that blockage. It's a bit like a hose pipe with mm. water flowing through it. If there's a kink in the hose pipe, yeah. the water's not going to flow. So we're just releasing that kink. So how does putting needles in someone's skin actually do all this? I guess that's like the biggest question that always baffles me is like, how can a tiny little needle in certain points of the body actually start to rectify some of these things that you're talking about? Well, from a Chinese perspective, um, it's been long known that all energy, kind of a non-physical energy, is a phenomena that runs through these energetic, non-physical meridians channels. Um, and by releasing through tried and tested years, um, by releasing these energy points, they, the, the energy can flow freely. So that's from a Chinese perspective. And it's people like, you know, Western medicine doesn't understand it, but actually I can see it now that there is a much more physical concept to it you know Chinese medicine has been for thousands of years it was first scripted by the yellow emperor 300 bc approximately wow. in the hand <laughs> exactly and in those scrolls and scripts it showed the whole physical body dissected it showed all the organs it started, it showed the circulatory system and it showed a closed circulatory system um, pumped by the heart it wasn't until i think the 1600s were western doctors found a closed circulatory system but they thought it was powered and pumped by the lungs so the Chinese have known about it way before anyway they see these blood vessels and actually how I, I see it really 
and how physiology of, of Chinese medicine and Western medicine are massively linked because the these nodes um, and acupuncture points fit in with that blood circulatory system. And I actually see qi not just as this energetic force. It's actually a multitude of things from the air we breathe, the, um, our personality, all the components of blood, from the oxygen, the nutrients, the hormones, the immune cells, um, the endorphins, etc. I actually see this is what qi is. It's that vital force which encompasses everything. So essentially what we're doing is stimulating an acupuncture node. There's over 361 with multiple different functions of each point. But they actually relate in to the whole nervous system and the whole circulatory system. So each node is, encompasses lots of venules, arterioles, and um, nerve endings, a condensed pocket of them. So when you stimulate that node, it actually sends signals to the brain via whichever receptor it's st stimulating. And the brain responds by causing a reaction. So sending back signals depending what is necessary. So if it's a pain, they'll send back, you know, the analgesics, all the nutrients, the inflammatory response cells. Um, whereas if it's just need more blood, they will send more blood to the uterus and things. So it's, it's actually, in my mind, not a physical, it is a physical, sorry, mm -hmm. it is a physical, actual, um, a physical energy, um, rather than just this non do you think you have that perspective because you do also have a kind of western medicine kind of background alongside this because you probably see it slightly differently to someone who is just 100% Chinese medicine absolutely but then going back all these thousands of thousands of years the physiology was there yeah so it's just I, th I don't know if it's through a mistranslation everyone just calls it energy but it isn't it's actually a physical thing mm. so um, yes I, because I have a Western hat on as well, and I do talk to my patients in more in a Western perspective because they're not really going to understand blood deficiency. They're not really going to understand damp. Yeah, because it makes it seem a little bit more mystical exactly. than maybe it really is. Exactly, exactly. So it's not. It's a very you know tried and tested medicine mm. for thousands of years, and over you know one point three billion people practice it weekly. Mm. In, in China, so it's so these acupuncture points or acupressure points are points that have been deciphered over thousands of years, basically. Exactly, exactly. Even it goes right back to the Stone Ages, you know, when they're using rocks and jagged rocks, um, massaging the body, and they noticed all those years ago that massaging parts of the body, like when you have a massage today, you will often notice another part of the body being having a sensation. I suppose it's like reflexology exactly, as well. Exactly, exactly. You know, if you're having your shoulder massage, you might notice a tingle in your leg. So, and then over the years, as like the Bronze Ages, the Iron Ages, everything got finer and finer and finer down to these very fine needles we use today. Now, one other question is when you're having acupuncture, sometimes you feel nothing when a certain needle goes in and other times you'll feel either a shock or it will be particularly painful on a certain point. I always wonder, what does it mean when one is painful and one is not, uh, if anything? Well, you know, certain areas of the body are always going to have a, a stronger sensation. There's less flesh, you know, there's much more condensed nerve endings. So around the wrists and the feet are always going to feel a little bit more 
intense than going straight into the butt cheek um, because there's obviously a lot more muscle to get through. Um, but actually, more often than not, it's due to a blockage in that meridian in the channel. So if there's a real blockage in that point, it's gonna you're gonna feel it more. If it's a sharp, scratchy sensation, that that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that strong kind of pulling, numbness, tingling sensation. That's when the energy might be really blocked. And it also depends on what technique the acupuncturist is doing. If they're tonifying, strengthening um, the body, you use a reinforcing technique, so you're pushing energy in. And sometimes that can be strong. Equally, if someone's trying to clear something out of the body, like in labor induction, you are really pulling that chi out with a stronger, stronger um, technique. So it depends on what technique's going on. There's lots of different techniques. It's interesting you say that because I do know a couple of people who have gone to have acupuncture to get their babies moving. How does that work? Because, look, it's always difficult to say if the acupuncture caused it or it was just the time, but in both instances of people that I know, pretty shortly after they had acupuncture for labour induction, the baby came along. Now, how does that work? <laughs> well, there's certain points which you avoid in pregnancy. There's forbidden points because there's about 10 forbidden points I would never do between one week and 39 weeks. And they are points which a, help the body let go. For instance, the one in the web of your hand, that's all about letting go. So you would never need all that. Uh, cool blood of 21 on the shoulder is all about sending energy down. Um, spleen 6 uh, on the lower part of the leg is all about opening up the uterus, relaxing the cervix because the spleen channel runs through the uterus. Um, bladder 67 is all about the bladder channel which runs again through the uterus and down the back and ends up in the feet. So, um, these are just points which have been tried and tested. You do not use them during pregnancy, but when it comes to induction, you can really stimulate these points and effects are dramatic. You know, someone on the bed can feel, you know, feel things happening within a few minutes, mm. but you will stimulate them much more than a normal acupuncture session. So it's mm. not the most, might not be the most pleasant sensation. You know, labor is a very dynamic process. So we're trying to get and move all this energy rapidly through the body. Well, as I said, I've seen it on two of my friends that seems to be pretty effective. So I was always really interested how it actually works. Now, when you um, say, for example, someone had not been getting their period, would you be stimulating those or is it more trying to get a blockage out? Or does it just depend on the person, I suppose? You wouldn't, uh, it totally depends on the person. So you have 10 people coming in for irregular periods, mm. but they would each get different acupuncture points. But for... It totally depends where the what is happening. So if someone's got, you know, someone's got really erratic periods, and they get really bad bloating, um, and they get breast distension, and they're crying, and they get tearful, and they get moody and irritable, then then it might be signs of liver cheese stagnation. So then there's specific points for liver cheese stagnation. Maybe liver three between the toes, maybe um, called bladder thirty four. Um, it totally depends so it's on completely individual yeah it's tailored to each person now we were talking about stress earlier just because I feel like you know it's, it's a topic that comes up a lot you know and is in the press a lot about how we are all super anxious and there's much more of it and it's always a question is 
are we more stressed than say in World War Two, for example? And it's quite hard to believe that we maybe are, but maybe it's just a different kind of stress that we have these days because we're always connected on our phones. Everything's so, I guess, transparent. Everyone's comparing themselves to everyone else and the work-life balance is very different as well. So do you see a lot more kind of, I guess, chronic low-level stress in people? And how do you deal with that from an acupuncture perspective, and particularly when it relates to fertility as well? I think wherever there's people, there's always going to be stress. Mm. Um, I don't think it's any different to before. There might be, I think stress is always going to be there, but I, just, I definitely think there's a low-lying anxiety around much more so than there used to be. And as you say, I'm sure it's due to social media, technology and affecting our, all affecting our electromagnetic um, bodies, essentially. So, um, again, it's different. It depends how it manifests. So, someone coming in with stress might be constantly angry, irritable, um, having outbursts, um, and they might be really slightly manic, or they might suddenly go into a, a low point. So that would be more probably be treating the heart then and resolving and restoring resolving phlegm, clearing the heart orifices. Whereas someone who comes in with a milder anxiety, whether a bit restless, anxious, not sleeping at night, waking up in the night, um, getting kind of night sweats, thirsty, um, slightly red in the face, malaflash, then then I'll treat them differently and I will nourish yin rather than and that's like an, what we call an empty condition. I won't be treating such a full condition. So it totally depends on each. Yeah, because it's dependent on the person. On the person. And do you think that you are seeing trends, um, particularly when it comes to women or even men for fertility? Are you seeing more of one thing or less or another, or is it purely like on an individual basis? Again, from a Western perspective, I am seeing more endometriosis. Um, I am seeing more polycystic ovaries um, and a lot a lot more women who are trying to get pregnant late 30s, early 40s. So it's hard to tell whether that just comes with the age or because I don't see anyone in their 20s and mm. I never have done. So I, I don't know, it's hard to tell, but that's not, again, it's not really what we're looking at from a Chinese mm. perspective. Um, we're looking at the intel, someone with endometriosis is going to, might show very different s symptoms to someone else with endometriosis. Mm. So it's very individual, I guess. Yeah. And so obviously we're talking about acupuncture, but as you mentioned earlier, there are different approaches within Chinese medicine. So there's things like cupping, for example. How is that different? So cupping is a, another modality. It's a it's a bit like um gua sha, which is a scraping tool. It's just helping to clear deoxygenated blood and bring in fresh oxygenated blood to the area so it's brilliant for especially on the back with any back problems essentially like an intense massage um, but just bringing in fresh blood with the oxygen the nutrients the hormones to the area in order that the body can heal itself but not only is it used for for massage and for tense muscles it can also be used for fertility especially used on the sacral area, bringing in blood flow to the ovaries, to the kidneys, which are the main reproductive organ. Um, and also it can help with clearing, um, if someone has flu, coughs, colds, allergies, 
can really help clear that pathogen infection out of the body. So how does it does how does it do that? Is it purely a kind of detox type of process? It is kind of it's like a detox process, but sometimes you can actually bleed the cup, so the the infection actually leaves the body. So you needle the area and then put a cup over the top and blood kind of pours into the cup. Sounds gruesome, but it's not. It's quite, it's quite gentle. Um, but it's a bit like bleeding has been around for thousands of years to help clear fever. But it's, you know, if someone has a, an acute back, back pain, you'll bleed the needle as well. Um, and that can really help release any stagnation where the back pain is. Mm, but it, it does sound quite intense, <laughs> but I know it has good results. Now, the other thing we were talking about is some of the herbs that are used. Um, again, that always kind of slightly baffles me. I guess that when you're um, seeing someone that's specialist in herbs, they again will approach it in a very, very specific way. I mean, how do you, because I guess sometimes when you're going and seeing somebody, how do you know that it's like the right thing for you? I suppose it's just trusting the person that you pick as your practitioner. I mean, how would you guide somebody who's having who's who's interested in having more herbs used? And what would you say are the things to look out for? So, I think herbs are great. I don't prescribe herbs. You have to go on to do another herbalist course. But most Chinese herbalists are also acupuncturists as well. So they're highly trained. It's very much based on the same principles as acupuncture. So you'll be treating them for cold or yang deficiency or yin deficiency or heat. Um, and it's essentially a daily dose of herbs. But they might not get, the herbalist might not get the prescription right first time. It's like going to your doctor. Um, if you have an infection, you'll be given an antibiotic. Or if you have depression, you'll be, be given an antidepressant but it might not be the right one for you. So it takes time to find that right prescription. So it's the same with the herbalist. You'll be given some herbs, but they have such limited side effects that they will still be benefiting the body. So um, definitely, and I also say it's like a daily dose of acupuncture. So it's, yeah, it's very, very powerful depending on what you might not need it if you're just not ovulating or if, you know, if you have irregular periods, but if you've got endometriosis or polycystic ovaries, then something more sinister like that, then herbs are very powerful and it might speed up the process of recovery. Um, but in order to find the right herbalist, you want to make sure they're A, registered with the British Acupuncture Council and the Register of Chinese Herbal Medicine. Um, anyone, so you can check these out online. Exactly. Yeah. Anyone from there will be totally legitimate. Um, and you won't have any worries with. So on that, because um, I personally found that I went and saw maybe a couple of people before I found someone that I felt that was right for me. How do you go about choosing the right person for you? Because I suppose it's like with anything in life, it's like even finding the right Western doctor or the right hairdresser even. But how would, if, if someone has never had acupuncture before and was interested in trying it, how would you go about it? Well, I've tried and tested a lot of acupuncturists just through curiosity as I practice it. But um, I guess it's just trying to find one that you have a, not only have you heard good things about and success stories from, um, but one you trust, have a very good rapport with. Um, you don't need to believe that acupuncture works for 
in order for it to work. But you want to enjoy the company of the person you're having a treatment from. So if you have that good rapport, they, you know, they tell you good nuggets of information that fascinates you, then stick with it and go with it. But, you know, some people, like some I've seen, you go, you don't have that great rapport, you don't take anything away from it, you might feel okay, but you want to, you want to take stuff away from it. And I often, most, well, quite a lot of acupuncturists have another, um, you know, feather to their cap, be it yoga or meditation or Reiki or massage. I also practice massage with my clients. So when the needles are in, I will often give them a massage as well or I will do a meditation with them. So that's what I look for. My acupuncturist, she also does Reiki. She also does essential oils on me. Um, and she's, you know, she's a good counsellor. She's also a psychotherapist. So it kind of, you know, it helps. You have to look what, for what you're looking for, mm. essentially. Um, and how long should it be before someone starts to feel the effect? Or is, again, that a pretty individual thing? Um, you you generally should start feeling after the first, I'm going to say, two to four sessions. Um, if you're not feeling anything, then it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be pregnant after no. two to four sessions. But if you're noticing other little problems are being ironed out, such as a better sleep, more calm, better digestion, then stick with it. Mm. definitely stick with it and how often should you go and see your acupuncturist or again is that an individual thing um totally depends but if you're you know you're preparing for a baby in six months time then it might not be necessary to go once a week for six months uh it might be necessary just to go once every two weeks or once a month depending if you've got endometriosis or blocked fallopian tubes you're going to need to go more regularly um, or if you're highly anxious and stressed about it, you're going to need to go more regularly. If it's just a matter of preparing for pregnancy, then you might not need to go so often. So if um, someone wanted to prepare for pregnancy, how far in advance should one go? I would suggest definitely three to six months, unless you don't have any symptoms. Yeah. So if you've got good digestion, good sleep... Okay, so just before we wrap up, so what do you see as the main benefits of having acupuncture for fertility? So basically, there's quite a few things it can do, but essentially, it can help regulate and optimize hormone levels from estrogen, progesterone, follicle stimulating hormone, and testosterone. It can regulate ovulation and optimize your menstrual cycle. It can enhance egg quality sperm quality, improve sperm's motility and mobility as well, and also boost the thickness of the endometrium, um, increase endometrial receptivity to improve implantation, and I guess support pregnancy to term. And throughout pregnancy, it can help with morning sickness, it can help with um, constipation, back pain, um, insomnia, um, placenta brevia, many different things and then also coming to full term it can help induce induce the baby and prepare prepare the mother for for labor so this is interesting actually because we've been talking a lot about women but actually the guys out there should be thinking about it as well because the statistics are pretty alarming actually that over the last 40 years sperm counts have halved on average which means that there is much greater variation around that so do you get many men coming in to see you? 
Sadly not. I don't get many only because they've now proven that IVF can really work for men with inadequate sperm. So men, you know, quite often, more often than not, they don't like to take responsibility. Um, so they don't tend to come in, not only because of that, but lots of men really do dislike needles, yeah. more so than women. Um, so I don't see many men, but it's it would be make my job much easier if both the man and the woman came in together. But it's funny you say that because um, on last week's podcast, we had one of the top uh, miscarriage doctors, Hassan Shiata, and he was saying that his approach is different and perhaps one of the reasons it's so successful is because he treats the man and the woman. So maybe this is something we should be thinking about more and especially when it comes to acupuncture as well. Absolutely, absolutely. If they both came in at the same time from, from the start, it would make my life a lot easier and their lives a lot easier. And I suppose that's the beauty of sperm is that it regenerates every few months. So, I, you know, this is a prime opportunity, exactly. one would think. So you think that acupuncture can really make a difference when it comes to sperm Absolutely. Quality. Um, lots of research is showing how it improves the mobility, quantity, quality and motility of the sperm as well. So all the men out there, they should really be coming and seeing you. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Laura, once again. This has been fantastic and we really appreciate your time. And we'll put um, all the info about you up on the site, as well as a link to the previous work we've done in case anyone wants to read about it. Uh, and thanks again. Brilliant. Thank you very much.